0: Well, when pastor rang me on Wednesday night, I had none. (laughs) I had some thoughts running about in my head, and it was the prompting I needed to get it down on paper. I would like to share some verses of scripture with you, please. Reading from Genesis chapter 11, commencing to read from verse 31, please, and then we'll carry on to chapter 12. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. As, no doubt, with many of you, as 2012 was drawing to an end, I spent time reflecting the year that was almost drawing to a close and also in anticipation of the year, God willing, that lay ahead. I wondered what will it present to us, 2013, Will it be different than 2012? Will it be the year in which God will move? Will it be the year in which we'll see things happen, not only on a personal aspect, but within the Christian church as a whole? And my mind was turning these things over. And I was really looking to the Lord to give me a verse, a portion of Scripture, even just a thought for stepping into 2013. And he directed me, to Abraham. I hadn't looked at Abraham for many years. And as I was directed to it, my immediate response was, well, Lord, you're going to show me something new, something different. For we know God's word is a living word. And when we read it, we can read it day after day and we get the same result. But one day we read the same Portion, and all of a sudden things change. Our eyes are opened, we get a different perspective, we get a different understanding. God drops something pacific into our hearts and minds. And my thinking was well, maybe this is what God's intending to do. And as I began to think in Abraham, as I began to delve into uh, this particular portion that we have read and this particular time and happening in his life, I began to realize that God not only shows us something new, but he also reminds us of things he has already revealed to us. And God began to impress upon me the reality that we need at times to be reminded. We're absent-minded. We forget, not deliberately, But because of life, because of demands, because of pressures, even in the natural, we are prone to forget. We write things down in our diary. We leave ourselves a little reminder on our phone or on our computer. We write ourselves little notes and stick them somewhere where we see it, usually on the mirror, so when you go to look at yourself in the morning, it's there in front of you. Sometimes we even ask someone else to remind us. Usually, those of us who are married, that's our wives. And we say, dear, I've got so-and-so to do and such and such a day, will you remind me? And maybe you get the same response as I get from Barbara. She says, what are you telling me for? I'll never remember. But we endeavor, we take steps to remind ourselves of those things that at that particular moment that need our attention. How much more on the spiritual realm? We are prone to forget what God has said. We're prone to forget what God has revealed to us. We're prone to forget even at times what God has done for us. Pastor in his sermon this morning made reference about being grateful, about being thankful. Sometimes life, the pressures of life and all that it brings causes us to forget. We need to be reminded. And so as I come to share with you what the Lord gave me on these particular verses, let's not switch off tonight and say, well, I know the story of Abraham, nothing more to to learn. But let us be open to hear what God would say to us by a spirit. He may show us something new and different. He may simply just remind us. But either way, it will be to our benefit. And so... To the verses we have read. In the opening verses of chapter 11, where Moses introduces us to the activities of those on the earth at that particular time, scripture tells us they all spoke the same language and they thought among themselves, let's do something for our own benefit. They made bricks, they started to build the Tower of Babel. Their thought, their idea was that they would provide for themselves their own salvation should the flood ever come again. And it tells us that God was angry and he caused a few uh, confusion among them. He caused them to speak different languages. And as a result, the building of the tower stopped. People moved to different parts because they simply couldn't communicate with each other. And then he enters in to give us the family tree. And he takes us right down from Noah, right down till he comes to Abraham. And when he comes to Abraham, he introduces us to Abraham as God's provision for the salvation of man. He has, in these few verses, provided us an insight into a particular part and happening in the life of Abraham. He has given us some information. Not enough for my liking. I have still a lot of questions. But nevertheless, he has given us sufficient that we can understand the working and the operating of God in the life of Abraham. And I want us to look at it under th- four headings. I want us to look at the man, the call, the wasted years, and the fulfillment of The call. Abraham, one of the most popular uh, Old Testament individuals that the writers of the New Testament use in reference to what they're saying. They point out Abraham, they use his life, they use the example that he was to highlight a particular point and a particular situation. In fact, his name is mentioned 74 times in the New Testament. Matthew and Dr. Luke in Acts highlight the fact that God is the God of Abraham. Abraham lives on in consciousness and fellowship with him, that is God. For as Luke reminds us in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, He speaks of Abraham's bosom. Abraham was the ancestor of Messiah, as Matthew records for us, and the father of the Israelites according to the flesh, as the gospel writers tell us. But he becomes the spiritual father of all who share in the faith by the Spirit, as Paul highlights in Romans and Galatians and the demonstration of his faith in his obeying God's call to leave Mesopotamia, and in the offering of Isaac are mentioned as outstanding examples of faith in action. James speaking in James 2 and 23 says, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. But who was Abraham? We are told Abraham believed in God. He lived in Ur. It was a pagan city. It was a place of wealth, a place of trade. Archaeologists have attended the site. They tell me it it was a port. They tell me it was a walled city. The walls were 70 feet thick, 80 feet high. The diameter of the walls are something like two and a half miles long. It was a center of commerce. Caravans came and went. Ships came and went. It was indeed the center of great trade and happening. But it was an idolatrous city. Joshua writing in chapter 24 and 2 reminds us that Abraham's father was an idolater, a worshipper of the moon god Sin. There are legends that suggest that Abraham was persecuted as a child for refusal to worship idols. How did God know about Abraham? Or sorry, how did Abraham know about God? No doubt by direct revelation from God. Dr Haley a bible commentator has offered a suggestion and I offered as he does of how maybe Abraham may have learnt about God for Dr Haley says Noah's life extended to the birth of Abraham and Noah's life was overlapped by Methuselah by 600 years while Methuselah's life was overlapped by Abraham of 243 years. So Abraham could have learned directly from Shem, that's Noah's oldest son, and also learned from Shem, Methuselah's account of Adam in the Garden of Eden. Shem lived to 500 years of age. Noah lived to 950 years. And Methuselah, who was Noah's grandfather and according to the scripture is the man who is reputed to have lived the longest, lived 969 years. It brings into perspective when they say they lived a good long life. (laughs) But the call. Nehemiah tells us in chapter 9, verse 7, Thou art the Lord, the God who didst choose Abram, and bringest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name of Abraham. In Genesis 11, 31 and 32, Moses tells us something, but not all that occurred in Ur. For it tells us that it was in Ur of the Chaldeans that God spoke to Abraham. Yet, as we read it would seem to indicate that it was while he was in Haran. But listen what it says. Now, the Lord had said to Abraham. When God spoke to Abraham in Haran, he wasn't speaking for the first time. He was bringing to Abraham's remembrance of what he had already said. Did he hear Abraham, an audible voice, like what was heard at the baptism of Jesus, as we read of in Matthew 17, when the heavens were opened and God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Was that how Abraham heard God's call, God's instruction to him? Or did the Spirit of God whisper the message into his heart and working in him an irresistible desire? We know not. A question we would like to have an answer too, But nevertheless, the call came. But what was involved in response? You know what they say? Actions speak louder than words. How many of us, when somebody says something to us, we say, yes, I agree with it. But when it comes to actually acting upon it, we re- are reluctant to do so. But for Abraham, he not only heard, but he was prepared to do what was required. And yet, as we look at the Scriptures, we're made aware he didn't get it completely right. He got part of it right, as we will see. For it required entire separation. For the word was, get thee out of his country, from his kindred, and from his father's house. Nothing must hinder the fulfillment of the plan and purpose in his life. Every connection, every friendship that stood between him and the divine call must be broken and left behind. The command to Abraham was no mere test of obedience for we must realize that God could not have done what he meant with him unless he had got him by himself. Isaiah takes up the theme in chapter 51 and verse 2 and he says, Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bear you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Paul again takes up the theme in Hebrews chapter 12 when he says, Let us lay aside every weight, everything that should hinder, everything that should slow our progress, everything that should prevent us from fulfilling the plan, the purpose, the call of God in our lives. For Abraham, the call also took him into a new experience, a new life. Life would never be the same again. The old life as it was would never be the same again. This life is a life of faith in God and fellowship with God. All who obey God live by faith. One has stated, it is the transplanting by the Spirit out of the barren soil of self into the fruitful soil of infinite grace. But what accompanied the call? We're told, firstly, there's the promise of possession. A land I will show thee. Many linger when God calls thinking of what might have to be given up, forgetting of what God offers. Well had the prodigal in the course to give up his rags that he might receive the best robe. Not only the promise of possession, but the promise of being made a blessing. I will bless thee, and thou shalt be a blessing. All the families of the earth are being and will yet be blessed through Abraham's seed that of Jesus Christ. We can only be a blessing for God after we have been blessed by God. This is God's order. We are safe to serve. And as Jesus spoke in John chapter 7 and assured us, it is out of those who come to Jesus and drink that living water flows. Jesus is the source of living water. And unless we are in communion with him, unless we are in fellowship with him, unless we are in oneness with him, we cannot progress. We cannot move forward. But also, there was a requirement of obedience of faith. We have here a wonderful example of prompt, unquestioning obedience to a word from God. We simply read, The Lord said, And Abraham knew that he was following a divine command and not his own purpose. He stands then on a high level indeed, setting the example of faith and unconditional acceptance of obedience to God's word. But observe that faith, which is the reliance on a person and therefore trust in his word, is not only confidence in that word as promise, but also obedience to that word as command. We cannot cut faith in half and accept one aspect without the other. Some people's faith say they take God at his word. Others say they accept his promise. But when it comes down to it, some say, I can accept God's promise. I will respect God's promise but I will ignore God's command. But there is no faith without obedience. There is no obedience without faith. We may ask once again, how was the call received? I tried to put myself in Abraham's place. He was a mature man. He was coming and he had to make a statement He had to tell his father what he was intending to do. Had his father been of similar faith and belief, it may have been easy, but his father was an idolater. What did he know about the true and living God? How was he going to explain? And I visualized Abraham walking up and down, saying, I'm going to say this, and then thinking, well, that just doesn't sound quite right, and changing it. And by the time he came to speak to his father, he had it all worked out. And he shared with his dad what God had told him. And in so doing, I feel I have a little reservation that he maybe didn't tell him all that God had told him. Because when we see the father's response to the situation, and as he sat, having explained himself, waiting for a reaction, waiting for a response. Was he going to get a telling off? Was he going to get a lecture? For those of us who have parents alive, it doesn't matter how old you are, you're still in line for a talking to from time to time. Was this what Abraham was going to have to face? And his, his father thought, and Abraham waited. His dad says, that's quite a good idea. And you can just imagine the sigh of relief that Abraham felt. Glad that that hurdle is overcome. And then his father says, better still, I'll come with you. But we need to read what God said. He was to leave his country, his friends, his kindred, his father's house. How often have we watched the dramas unfold in the courtroom on TV, and the witnesses giving evidence, and the lawyers asking questions, and he gets to the stage. He's not interested in what they think was being said. He says, what did he actually say? And I feel very much when God speaks, we need to hear exactly what he says, not what we think he says, not what we would like him to say, but we need to hear exactly what he says. And because of that, not adhering, Abraham was to find himself facing challenges that he otherwise could have avoided. The preparation is made. The farewell meals have taken place. They have said their goodbyes. And we see Abraham, his father, and Lot on the journey. The scene as they set off must have been a wonderful sight. Three families with all their servants, with all their herds and flocks as they set off. And they go on a journey and they travel. For Abraham, he maybe was relieved. We're on the way. All the preparation, all that had preceded it is behind us. We're now moving. We're now moving forward. But then we come to what I class as the wasted years. It says they traveled to Haran 600 miles. And then they came to a standstill. It would seem that as recorded in chapter 11 that Abraham was led by his father instead of the command of God. Under his leadership, he only got to Haran. Surely worldly wisdom will never help us in the life of faith. There is no rest or blessing for those who stop short of Christ's plan, no matter how far they may have gone. Abraham's father, brought the journey to a stop at Haran. Haran, the inhabitants of Haran, those who established the city, were people who had lived in Ur. And so in Haran, they had brought their, their religion, they had brought their conditions and their rituals all with them. So at Haran, for Abraham's father, he was back in familiar territory, familiar religious people. That's like himself. No doubt he thought, well, we'll rest a while. We'll refresh ourselves. There's a city here. We can increase our stocks and replenish our stocks and so on. Maybe the intention was only to stop a little while. But a few days turned into a week. Weeks turned into months and months into years until it got to the stage that the very thought of packing up, getting ready to move, seemed too much of a task. You know, it was an easy matter to go from Ur to Haran. Both were on the same bank of the river Euphrates, but to cross the broad, deep, rapid river was a difficult thing and would mean a cutting loose from the past life. And as we're made aware, only the man of faith did that. Surely, there are plenty of half and half Christians who go along merrily from Ur to Haran. But when they see the wide stream in front of them and realize how completely the other side is separated from all that is familiar, they decide they have come far enough and Haran will do. For Abraham, it was a time of going nowhere. He didn't go forward. I don't know if he drifted back, but he was there for a period of time. My sources tell me something like five, six years. But after his father died, things began to change. For we were made aware that he completed the journey what happened, what transpired, what brought about the change. I believe that God began to blow upon the smoldering embers once again. That fire that had burned as he left Ur, that had maybe dipped, that had almost gone out during his time in Haran. Abraham sought God, God sought Abraham and found those flames. And it brings home to us this wonderful, wonderful reality that God doesn't write us off. If we are open to God, if we seek him, we shall find him indeed. And so Abraham sets off and completes the journey. But he didn't quite get it right. Once again, it tells us, In verse 4, that he left with his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot. And as we read on, we find that Lot was to pose him some difficulties. In chapter 13, we have Lot and Abraham parting company because of the unrest between their herdsmen. In chapter 14, we have Lot taken prisoner and Abraham having to mobilize his servants, pursues them, rescues him, and returns them to Sodom. In chapter 8 19, we have Abraham pleading with God for Sodom because of Lot. Abraham came in to Canaan. He completed the journey. Patience, persistence, got him there. There's no mystery in getting to journey's end. One step at a time, one foot up, one foot down, and a continuing long enough will bring to the fulfillment of the longest march. It looks a weary journey, and we wonder if we shall ever get to the end. But the wonder of one step at a time will get us to the journey's end. God didn't forsake Abraham. God's plans for Abraham hadn't changed. God's promises to Abraham hadn't changed. Abraham had taken time out in Haran. I class it as wasted years. I might be a little unjust in that comment. And there are times when God speaks to us When God says, I want you to get up. I want you to move forward. And like Abraham, we move forward. And time comes. Situations, circumstances, difficulties, problems. And we take time out. And there's nothing wrong with taking time out to regather yourself, to get yourself sorted out. But when time out becomes permanent, that is where the danger lies. And I don't know where you are tonight in the plan and purpose of God. I can only answer for myself. But if you find yourself in that situation, you have taken time out. Don't make it permanent. Be like Abraham. Call upon the name of the Lord. Let him fan those Smouldering embers. What does the scripture say? A smouldering flecks he will not quench. This is the God we serve this evening. He's not a, a, a real hard judge putting you down, hammering you at every opportunity. He's a God of love. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a reason. He has a plan for your salvation. He has a plan for 2013. And in that plan is involved you and I. No one is left out. No one is pushed to the one side. No one is given priority. For scripture tells us God is no respecter of persons. So often we want to know. And God says, as he said to Abraham, I'll tell you when you need to know. For what God brought to me as I examined Abraham was that Abraham's journey was on the basis of need to know. God knew you, and Abraham got to know when God thought he needed to know. One has described Abraham's journey like a ship leaving harbour. The captain on the bridge, in his hand he has envelopes, sealed envelopes. He opens the first one, and it tells him some information and it tells him when he gets to a certain longitude and latitude, then he opens the second envelope and so on. And as at each specific situation, as he receives that information, he progresses and the result is he reaches his destiny. God has a plan and he has a plan for you. I was reminded of a conversation I had with one of my congregation when I pastored in Lisburn. An elderly lady who had known me from, as a child. And we were discussing certain things after Sunday morning service. Some families were having difficulties. Some people were ill. And she said to me, Do you know, isn't God wise that he doesn't tell us what tomorrow holds? For if he did, we wouldn't be able to enjoy the blessings and benefits of today. And I thought that was a tremendous thought. And over the years, I have more and more began to understand and appreciate that. God has a plan. A plan for me, a plan for you, a plan for MPC. We're not drifting along, as some people say, we'll wing it. And see what happens. God has a plan. We need to be in God's plan. For it is only as we walk with God. As long as we do what God asks us to do. Will we know fulfillment. And joy. And satisfaction. I've talked to people over the years. And they've made that commitment. For salvation. And sometime down the line. They're they're bored. They're fed up. They said. It doesn't do anything for me anymore. And I asked them, well, but what are you doing? Are you reading the Scriptures? Are you seeking God? Are you endeavoring to do what God asks you to do? And they look blankly at you. But full satisfaction is found in following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he has a plan. For as Jeremiah reminds us in chapter 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We may not know what 2013 holds. The joys, the sorrows, the trials, the difficulties. No doubt they'll all be there. But we have this wonderful assurance that Jesus is our help and guide. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Family, friends... May forsake thee, but Jesus will never. I'm reminded of that little verse that says, Yesterday the Lord helped me. Today he did the same. How long will this continue? Forever, praise his name. God has a plan. Are you looking for the fulfillment of that plan and purpose? It will require faith. It will require commitment. It will require sacrifice at times. But you know, he is a God who is faithful. I remember speaking to one of the elders in the in the fellowship that I was with, and I asked him, you know, how can you do what you do for the Lord? He was a businessman, and he supported the work greatly. And he said, You know, the Lord's shovel's bigger than mine. And I thought that was a wonderful statement. The Lord will not see us short. The Lord will more than amply reward us for any sacrifice we make. I'm looking forward to this year. Month is gone, still 11 months to go. Praise God. And I believe in God that we will see great things not only as individuals, but I'm looking to God to do great things in this church. Amen.